Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Wednesday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Hey, on Tuesday, yesterday, we had our first office hours on the new LogosBibleStudy.com. And we had a number of students drop into the office hours. We had a good talk, good chat about things. It was really good to see everyone there on Zoom. As I mentioned, I'll be having office hours every Tuesday and Thursday from 11 a.m. to noon Pacific time. So if you become a member of Logos Bible Study, I'll love to talk with you during office hours. Just drop in at any time and we can chat. Last time on Monday, we had Paul at Caesarea Maritima under Governor Felix. Felix was procurator of Judea from AD 52 to AD 60. He termed out and Governor Festus became procurator from 60 to 62. He succeeded Governor Felix. Now, as I was going through our story on Monday, I neglected to make that transition. The transition happens right before chapter 24 in Acts. So Paul is with Governor Felix at this point. And we begin with chapter 25 at verse 13. Now, Festus had conferred with the council and said, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. Paul is going to Rome under Governor Festus. Now, a few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea. Now, that's one rank higher than the governor. They arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus, the new governor. And since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. Yeah, they were talking about what's on the docket, what needs to be done. And Festus said, well, you know, we have this guy, Saul of Tarsus, they call him Paul now, and he's been here with Felix for two years. And I'm not even sure what the charges are. So Festus said to uh, the king, King Agrippa, there's a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. And when I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked he be condemned. I told them that it's not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and had an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. That was guaranteed under Roman law for Roman citizens. So when they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they didn't charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Insurrection, thievery, whatever. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. Well, I was at a loss how to investigate anything like that. So I asked if he'd be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial on these charges before the Sanhedrin. But Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, and that was his right as a Roman citizen. So I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar in Rome. Now, of course, Paul won't appear directly before the emperor, but at the imperial courts in Rome. 
Then Agrippa said to Festus, I'd like you to hear this man myself. And he replied, well, tomorrow you'll hear him. We'll bring him in. So the next day, King Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entrance the audience room, entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man? The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. Well, I found he'd done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. He's appealed his case to Rome. I'll send him to Rome at our expense, Roman expense. But I have nothing to say. I have no charges against him. Therefore, I brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. I may have charges I can send to Rome. It's unreasonable to send a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. So then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand. And again, as a good rhetorician, Paul began by complimenting his audience. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Good introduction. Flatter the judge. And Agrippa did know all the Jewish customs. So, Paul continues, The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. So why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. I was the lead persecutor. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme in my obsession against them. I even went to foreign cities to persecute them, Damascus. Now, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. 
about noon. Okay. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. This flash of a brilliant blazing light. And we all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I ask in, in, in fear, who, who, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from their darkness, from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul recounts the road to Damascus story. It's the second time we've heard it here, when it happened and now again. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets of Moses said would happen, that the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Well, how's this going over with Festus? At this point, Festus interrupted Paul. Excuse me, you, you, please stop right there. You are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. Festus thought Paul was a lunatic. And Paul replied, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. I, I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you could persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, well, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. Well, except for these chains, again, not literally chains on his hands, but the legal problems that have absorbed Paul for the last two years. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with him. They left the room, and while talking with one another, they said, this man may be loony, but he's not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. In other words, the king said to the governor, What were you thinking? 
There are no charges to bring against the man, and now you have committed resources to send him to Rome. And when he gets to Rome and appears before the imperial court, we're going to look like fools. Good job. Great first day on the job, dude. Well, when it's decided that we should sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners went, uh, were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. Julius is a chaser, that is, someone who will escort prisoners to Rome. Now again, Paul is not a prisoner, he's under protective custody, but he's going on that ship along with everyone else. We boarded a ship from Admiratheum, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, the Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. So Paul has a friend with him. Again, he's not in prison. He's not under arrest. He's under protective custody. So what they're going to do is sail from the new harbor at Caesarea Maritima, a harbor built by Herod the Great, an artificial deep water port that dominated the trade uh, coming into that part of the world. And they're going to hop, skip, and jump up the coast north until they get up to the corner of the Mediterranean, the northeastern corner. Then they're going to hop, skip, and jump along the northern edge or southern edge of Asia Minor, northern edge of the Mediterranean, and eventually make their way to Rome. That's the plan. He's on the slow boat to China. So the next day we landed at Sidon. So from Caesarea Maritima, to Sidon, past Tyre up on to Sidon, a one-day journey. Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. And from there, we put out to sea again and passed the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. So they get to Sidon, and Julius, the centurion, allowed Paul to go ashore, have dinner with his friends, stay overnight, just be back on board the ship in the morning. Note, a centurion who loses a prisoner pays with his life. Remember the Philippian jailer? Remember the guards who were guarding Peter? No, if Paul were a prisoner, Julius would not allow him to go ashore and have dinner and spend the time with his friends. But they do. So from there, we put out to sea again, passed the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. So they're making their way across Asia Minor, the southern edge of the landmass of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. They're making their way across, hop, skipping, and jumping. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Sindus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete, opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Now much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. That is, after Yom Kippur. So we're moving into the winter season. Yom Kippur is right about the time, uh, right, October, November. 
And you don't want to be in the Mediterranean at sea in the open ocean at that time. We had a student in our live classes, our live Logos classes, who was a retired Navy captain, a blue water sailor. He had captained aircraft carriers in the Mediterranean for most of his career. And he said to us in class, he said, I've spent many winters in the Mediterranean on an aircraft carrier. Now an aircraft carrier holds 6,000 people. It's like a small city. And he said, I've sat in the captain's seat looking out over the deck of the carrier. And I have seen that carrier 45 degrees to one direction and then immediately 45 degrees back to the other. Now that's an aircraft carrier. Imagine what a ship like Paul would be on in the winter in the open ocean during a storm. Well, we are about to find out what that will be like. Much time had been lost. It was after the fast. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to shipment cargo and our own lives. If, if you decide to go into the open sea at this time, we're in trouble. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the ship captain and the owner of the ship. Well, of course, why would they listen to Paul? I'll tell you why, why they should have. Paul had spent a great deal of time aboard ships. Remember Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, three times I was shipwrecked, three times. Well, actually it would be four because here's another one coming up. But Paul, they didn't listen to him. They listened to the ship captain and the owner, of course, who wanted to get the cargo where it was to go on time. And since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. So they're on the island of Crete. Now, I've been on the island of Crete many times in our Footsteps of St. Paul journeys. Uh, we've taken a four-day uh, cruise in the Aegean during that time, and uh, it's a beautiful island. And we have friends on Crete, actually. And uh, next time we're there, I'm hoping this coming year in 2022, we'll be able to visit and have dinner together with our friends on Crete. But they're on Crete at this point. Now, they have to push out into the open sea. But it's a pretty tricky thing to do. So when a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a nor'easter swept down from the island and the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way, and we were driven along. They're pushed out to sea in the midst of a hurricane-force storm. What is going to happen to Paul? I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger. We will find out.
on Friday. Oh, be sure to come back. We have a real adventure coming up. And be sure to visit LogosBibleStudy.com and check out the brand new website and all the features on it for our Logos members. Hey, thank you for being with me, and I'll be back again on Friday. Blessings to you. Bye-bye now.